Hey, it's me. How are you, friend? Welcome to yet another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. Good to have you with us. Hello and welcome. The last episode featured an archival interview with Doris Buffett. And I'm not saying the topics are the same, but in some respects, this interview goes with that one. This is an interview with a very talented composer and musician named Peter Buffett. He's recorded many albums in a variety of styles. I have listened to and enjoyed and have many of these albums in my collection. He is especially known for his music influenced by Native American music. In fact, his song Fire Dance was featured in the film Dances with Wolves. One of the most iconic scenes in Dances with Wolves, the fire dance, which the title of it pretty much explains the part I'm talking about, that was Peter Buffett's work. He's also known for being the youngest son of Warren Buffett, the businessman and philanthropist. He is also the nephew of past guest Doris Buffett. In addition to his music, this interview was done a number of years before his book, which I have. It's called Life is What You Make It, Find Your Own Path to Fulfillment. It was a New York Times bestseller. Very interesting book. I recommend it highly. You can check out Peter Buffett online at peterbuffett.com. This interview has that kind of telephony sound to it. I didn't have quite the microphone that I have these days. I think this interview is still worth checking out. I really hope to connect with Peter Buffett again someday. Maybe we can do an interview in person sometime. He travels around the country doing this thing called a concert and conversation where he not only plays music, but he also invites the audience to ask him questions. Very cool. I think you're going to like Peter Buffett. I certainly do. Let me know what you think of the interview. A big Buffett welcome to Mr. Peter Buffett. How you doing, Peter? All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, your style of music is heavily influenced by Native American music. So how did you get the passion for Native American music? Well, I really, it, it started by reading a book, actually. I uh, read a book in the late 80s called Son of the Morning Star, and it was about the history of the North American Indian nations in the 19th century, which you know, most of us now know wasn't this great history at all, and it was something I never learned. And I was kind of amazed at, at what I hadn't learned and what people weren't teaching in school, and I wondered where Indian people were. I mean, I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know, you know, usually we see them in history books or museums, or if at all, and I just felt like, boy, here are people that have been here for thousands of years, and it sounds like uh, it would be important to, to learn more about who they are and how they live, and, and we might be able to learn a lot, and I started to write some music, uh, kind of just based on feelings about that. And Kevin Costner heard that music and asked me to contribute to Dances with Wolves. Uh, I wrote one piece of music in that film, two minutes of music. <laughs> uh, and that sort of launched my whole career in a different direction and interest deepened and, uh, went on to score eight hours, uh, of a series called 500 Nations that Kevin produced. And just kept getting deeper and more interesting, and, and uh, you know, now here I am, a lot of years later, still doing it. And the uh, song you mentioned from 
uh, Dancers with Wolves. That's Fire Dance, right? Yeah, right. It's, it's interesting because, you know, when you're working on a project like that, it's first and foremost a job. You get hired and you're excited to do it, and you don't really know how the movie's going to turn out, if it's going to be popular. It, it just, you just do the work. And uh, for that, because I only was scoring one scene, I wasn't even sure how that scene really fit into the movie. So uh, you can imagine my surprise and delight when not only the movie did very well, uh, but the scene was the scene where Kevin dances around the fire and essentially is the transformative scene for him in the movie. So, uh, you know, it's considered a pivotal scene, and, and that was also very exciting to not only be in a movie that, that ended up doing so well, but to have a scene in that movie that pretty much everybody remembers. It was uh, pretty exciting. One of the things about that movie is it's just, uh, it, it's such a wonderful story. When you first read the, when you read the script or when you became acquainted with the, the, the storyline, what was your first thought about Dances with Wolves? Well, I, along with I think anybody who was associated with it, knew it was going to be different. You know, knew it was going to tell the story from a different angle and have a different, uh, feeling of, integration, I guess, of the the true story of what it must have been like on the plane at that time. And a lot of people thought Costner was crazy for doing it, because here was a movie that, that was three hours long. Uh, a lot of it was subtitled because it was done in the original language, uh, or the correct language, you know, of the, the Sioux, the Dakota Sioux, I believe. And, and Kevin had never directed, you know, so it was just a lot of people really thought it was just a crazy idea all around, but regardless of whether, you know, what you thought of the idea, everybody knew it was going to be different, and it was going to approach the whole subject matter from a more realistic and appropriate angle, and so I think from from that perspective, you know, again, whether you, you thought it was a good or a bad idea, it was going to be uh, different and, and tell the story in a compelling way. I was listening to your album, uh, well, it's a compilation of them, the songs from an East Side Attic. Yeah, there's a different take on everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, there was lots of songs on there that were uh, really like nothing I'd ever heard before. And you doing a lot of uh, Native American style music. I noticed that you were in some uh, some into some other styles as well. Right. Yeah, I sort of have a... a like parallel tracks that never, I don't think, really need, or I don't know, maybe they do somewhere, but um, I definitely, you know, before I was involved with the movie and with 500 Nations and the Spirit Show and all the things I've done along that track of, of Native American influence music, uh, I had been doing for many, many years uh, lots of other kinds of music and music commercials and, and some things that are more or more pop or more quirkier sounding things. Uh, and so that track is still very much alive as well. It's kind of a, a, it's tricky for me because people sort of know me in one world or the other. And I never know which one is actually, you know, going to be my career path ultimately. So I just kind of follow one and keep the other one going and, and who knows where I'll end up. One of the tracks on there is Touch the Clouds, which is a really cool song. 
Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about that song? Yeah, that actually, I had done some vocal work uh, with a woman for a commercial, and I wish I could remember what commercial was quite a while ago. And, of course, when you're recording uh, anything these days, especially, everything's on a separate track. And uh, later on, I was asked to score a documentary film about uh, the, the, how to prepare for a triathlon, the story of triathletes, and that sort of thing. And I had remembered this vocal. Uh, I'd already written this piece of music, and so I pulled this vocal in from another piece and put it in there and, and changed a few things around with phrasing and stuff. That's the beauty of computers and music these days. You can put it about anything in any other piece. So it was really a marriage of something I had in the studio, this vocal uh, from from this commercial from somewhere, <laughs> and uh, and then this piece of music I've written specifically for the film. And, and when they came together, uh, it was magic. Much like actually on that same CD, the song "Sugar Baby," which is a very kind of funny, quirky song. Uh, that's a piece of music I wrote completely. And then I was searching for kind of the final piece of the puzzle and came across this old recording of Doc Boggs uh, singing Sugar Baby from, I couldn't tell you what year, 1920-something. It's an old recording. And uh, I put it in the song, and it was this, it was a, a match made in heaven. You never hear Native American music, or you normally don't hear Native American music on the radio which is part of the reason we're doing this show today. So what are you trying to accomplish? What do you hope people get out of your music? Well, I hope it does kind of instill an uh, interest in the culture and a curiosity. And, a, you know, they, they might uh, delve a little more deeply into that. And, and also it might just kind of broaden their thinking about what music can be. Uh, you know, because radio is so limited in so many ways uh, across the dial. Uh, you know, it's great that that you're able to you know expose people to music they probably don't hear anywhere else <laughs> on on the radio, and 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 so you know the music is another version of that. Um, if you can get people to to hear what I'm doing, or you know other native music or, or any kind of music, you know, that kind of piques people's interest and says, boy, what else is out there that I don't know that I don't know or I haven't heard? Uh, and you know, I think that's that's what radio used to be, you know, in the sixties you hear all sorts of things. And it would get you excited and you'd wanna to get into something new and explore some new avenue of of sound or culture. And, uh, you know, hopefully my music can do the same thing. I was listening to um, the song Ashland from Last Fr uh, Lost Frontiers, and I was wondering, was that inspired by Ashland, Maine? Uh, actually, Ashland, Nebraska. <laughs> oh, okay. Because <laughs> I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and so actually it was uh, one that was closer to home. <laughs> Although I think there's probably Ashlands in just about every state, probably, so you can write your own version into it. Speaking of Nebraska, some of the listeners might not know that your father is Warren Buffett, and he's a ukulele plucker. Was he an encouragement with music, or how did he feel he was, about you I, being I, a musician? 
I love having him described as a ukulele player. <laughs> and he would too. He was, both my parents were, they um, were both uh, highly supportive of seeking out anything uh, to do for a living that you love. You know, it was it was very much encouraged to, you know, pursue a passion, basically, you know, and and in that way, certainly, generally, it was, he was supportive. And then specifically, uh, there was always some form of, of music around the house. That mostly actually came through my mother, who was a singer, and would always bring home, uh, you know, interesting new music and was really into um, mostly really pop culture music of the 60s, specifically when I was young. Uh, you know, I had an older sister that would bring home the rock music and she would bring home the soul and the, the R&D stuff, my mom would. So um, it was a great eclectic combination with my mom, my, with my dad throwing in the, the ukulele and the uh, Glenn Miller and, and then, you know, the other quirky elements that, that uh, like Spike Jones that he grew up with when he was young. So uh, it was, the music was definitely around the house and both my parents really encouraged uh, pursuing uh, either music or whatever else might be, you know, really a passion. I was reading the liner notes and um, there was some uh, Walt Whitman inspiration there. Yeah. And, uh, I guess as an English major, whenever I hear about literary influences, I always have to ask about that. Yeah, I was searching, really, and, and you can see the development of it, actually. On Lost Frontier, I had a little bit of choir on one song, Searching for a Place Called Home. And I really liked using choir, and you can see kind of the ultimate version of that is in the spirit show, where there's quite a bit of, of choir. And and Gennadio was in the middle there, where I was kind of taking the next leap, and I was looking for words for the choir to sing, because I hadn't yet kind of decided how, what I was going to do. And I went through, somebody had, had uh, recommended Walt Whitman, and actually Gennadio was a poem that he wrote, and, uh, and I think in Iroquois that somehow is translated into Lament from the Native People. And I actually went through and kind of pulled different lines from Whitman from actually different poems, uh, some from that one. And then also, you know, co-opted kind of my own things in there as well and came up with the words that required to sing. So it's kind of a combination of some of his words and some of my own. Uh, and, and it worked out. When you're not making music or, or doing musical-related business work. <laughs> what do you like to do as as your hobbies? I thought you were just going to say, what do you do? And I was going to say, sleep. <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing I do, uh, aside from music or music-related things, it's funny because, you know, when, when your hobby is also your livelihood, uh, it, it's tricky, uh, you know, to actually take a break sometimes and not do it. And and I certainly am involved in other uh, Native-related things. Um, I, I help out in terms of uh, foundations or, or certain projects that are happening around the country. Uh, if I can, in some ways, bringing you know, my take on art and, and 
the culture and how it can, you know, either get kids involved in things or, or just help, you know, just help in ways with the culture and, and the, the artistry of it. Um, but really, it's about all I do. It's a little bit of a problem. I bet it's it's kind of a, it's 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 kind of a, a pain sometimes to uh, have the last name uh, Buffett. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, no, I know what you mean. Yeah. Do you know what I'm going to ask? I'm going to ask how many people go up to you and say, "Are you related to Jimmy Buffett?" <laughs> a whole lot of them. Huh? In fact, actually, I mean, I should say it used to be a whole lot, and that was the only thing I got. Now it's sort of half and half. Uh, a lot of times. They'll say, "Are you related to Jimmy or Warren?" Because <laughs> <laughs> my dad has a you know a much higher profile now than he did ten or twenty years ago, uh, and it's very funny. I mean, I just had to go up to Canada to do some work on the DVD of the show, and sure enough, you know, you hit customs and they look at the name and they ask that question. <laughs> it's just the funniest thing, um, and and you know, Jimmy. It, He's a wonderful guy, and, and it's, it's kind of fun because we're both into music, so at least there's a relationship there, even though um, from a, a blood relation that I don't know how many generations it goes back through Doris told you. Um, it's, it's quite a ways, and she's, she's done all the research. Uh, you know, but my dad now has this high profile, and, and that's been interesting because you know, when you're out, the show, the spirit show, took a lot of money to uh, get off the ground. I had to go out and raise money over the last many years. And, of course, everybody thought that was crazy because they just figured I could just go to my dad and ask him to write a check. And he doesn't do that sort of thing. This program goes out all over the world. So my question to you, Mr. Peter Buffett, is what would you like to say to the world? Well, I think I would like to say to the world that, that we should all, because of my interest in, in Native people, we should listen to the indigenous people all over the world because they have a lot to tell us. And I think as we get into, uh, you know, people worrying about climate change or worrying about what's going on in Africa or what's going on, you know, with the, the, the things that happened with the tsunami, you know, all of... All of the things that happen around the world, uh, you know, it's usually the indigenous people that that know first how to potentially solve the problem or know the problem is coming uh, or deal with it in a way that, that a lot of times the rest of us don't don't think those ways. Um, and so I would say that that we should really be listening to the indigenous voices around the world because uh, I think they're going to. Uh, they're going to save us, <laughs> ultimately. I think it's an important message. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Zip, bip, bibbidi bop, boobity zing, dang, bon, chee, cuddly zing, a bang, doon, coo, chee, a tsukili, matsuko, oh, you should get gone, go, go, a doon, go, geezing, go, to glang, dang, go, bon, tight. It'll as a good plan, do 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 do